Welcome back to Humanity Unlocked. I am your host, Kimberly Diet, and I want to start by saying it seems we have an unplanned theme happening with this month's episodes. Last week, this week, and next week will all fall within a similar category. Last week, you heard from my 21-year-old son, Jordan, talking about growing up with a 50-50 custody arrangement. And this week, we have Jess and Laura from my favorite new podcast. Their podcast is called In the Pink Room with Jess and Laura, and they are here with me co-hosting today to talk all things motherhood and parenting. I invited them to come on because motherhood in general feels very misunderstood, and the goal, I think, uh, with most most of my episodes is to tell the untold side of my guest stories or to reveal a misunderstood side of different topics that we discuss. A lot of us moms at one point or another have assumed that being a quote-unquote good mom looks a certain way. That balance in all areas is achievable and we should all be striving for what feels like and may actually be an impossible standard. And if we're not, it must mean that we are failing. Both Jess and Laura are board certified behavior analysts and they met over a decade ago as coworkers and both women have gone on to have three kids of their own since then. Jess has two boys, age 11 and 8, and her little girl is 5. Laura has twin 2-year-old girls and her little boy is 5. Because they're both behavior analysts and they each clearly have a ton of experience with this topic, you might assume they're perfect mothers and that they have it all figured out and want to tell you how to do it better, which could not be further from the truth because these ladies are the most humble, down-to-earth, authentic, and transparent mothers who aren't afraid to get real about motherhood. And just and not just motherhood, by the way, you'll have to tune into their podcast because they cover such a tremendous array of topics that are super relatable uh, for women in particular. Um, and I just have to tell you guys, their podcast is brand new and I listen to a ton, and uh, I mean a ton of podcasts and you would think they've been doing this for years. They're that good. I will leave a link to their podcast in the show notes, so please check it out. Okay, so with that, I want to welcome these incredible ladies to Humanity Unlocked. Jess and Laura, thank you so much for being here, and thank you for agreeing to co-host this topic with me. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Let me just raise that. Sorry for the audio (laughs) listeners. I'm just raising my mic. Okay. Okay, for the video listeners, Jess is in the red and Laura is in the leopard. I'm so excited to have you guys both here. I want to start with a topic that covered uh, that was covered extensively on your podcast that I know will resonate with so many of our listeners who are mothers. It is the topic of mom guilt. Mom guilt. Can I enunciate? And I am. I'm sure you're both tired of talking about it, and um, especially since there was a pact that we all made during that episode <laughs> that we're all done with it, but it was so good that I want to just brush over it for our listeners. Um, in our pre-interview, I was asking you guys, like, where on earth does this come from? Why do perfectly wonderful mothers carry this absurd amount of mom guilt, and who is, or what is making them feel this way? Because my hunch is it's probably not their kids. So I want to get your guys' thoughts on that, or let me ask you more directly, where did each of your, we're just, we're not going to spend a lot of time because I know we've talked this to death on In the Pink Room, or I've listened to you guys talk it to death. Where did your each individual mom guilt come from or who did it come from? Mm-hmm. Which one of you guys wants to start? This is so fun. There's two of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I'd like to say that um, I never get tired of talking about the subject because even though we made that pact and we we're so passion- compassionate about ending our mom guilt, like it's still there yeah, and it still comes up all the time. It's almost like a constant thing where we have to be very cognizant of that guilt. And then, but now we're more aware of it and we are better able to, to overcome it when we do experience it. So catch yourself. Yes. So I can talk about this all the time. Okay, good, 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 good. I don't feel so bad then. I think it's probably something you don't ever actually achieve. It's just, 
just a constant, you have to constantly be aware and mindful of it because there's always going to be influences. Yeah. 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 Do you guys remember like, where would this, where would this have originated for each of you? I'm curious. So for me, um, if you don't mind, I'll go first. For me, I think I've experienced mom guilt in, on so many levels for so many different reasons and all throughout different seasons of motherhood. So when the kids were like all below the age of six or when I first became a mother, I think that my first um, encounter of mom guilt is when I tried to go back to work full time. And it was a very difficult transition for me to go from being home with my baby. And I was an attachment parent, so I wore my baby all the time. We co-slept. Starting at six months, I co-slept. And also, I breastfed. Okay. And so I was that mom trying to go back to work full time and then pumping. And I would drive home on my lunch break to deliver the milk to the grandma that was watching the baby at the time or the daycare. Um, depending on what day of the week it was. So my mom guilt really came from a place where I was raised by a stay-at-home mom. And I did feel very guilty about leaving my child to go to work and having someone else watch them. And I think that comes from a place where it was just ingrained in me that that's what I should be doing. Yeah, that's that's normal. What you're doing is not normal. What I was doing was not normal. And it didn't feel normal to me. My instinct was to be home with my child. Yeah. But that was very difficult because in addition to wanting that, I've always been very um, ambitious and career driven. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I'll have, a, it'll be easy I'll, to go back to work. I'll look forward to it, you know, yeah. but it wasn't. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. How about for you, Laura? Yeah. So my mom was also a stay at home mom. And I think there's a little bit like from a different perspective, you know, if I'm going to be a working mother, then I need to make sure that Like, I'm going to do it justice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because our moms didn't have that, so we need to be able to do it and we need to be able to do all the things and do it well Mm -hmm. um, and not complain about it. This is making so much sense. (laughs) Yeah. This makes so, I'm sorry, continue. But this is just, I have a bunch of light bulbs going off. Continue, sorry. Yeah, and so so there was that. And then I think, too, for me over, over time, you know, you have a number of different women in different professions and different careers that have evolved over time. And now we have specialists for feeding and we have lactation specialists and sleep consultants that they didn't have back in the day. Mm -hmm. And so you have all these professionals and these experts and what they're doing is they're, they're promoting their best nurturing practice and, and, you know, proposing it on us. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, it's like, well, if we're not living up to these expectations, then we're falling short. Yeah. When in reality, nothing is cookie cutter. No. Everything is more is individualized. Totally, totally. And I have to tell you that um, the the reason why this is making a lot of sense to me now, because I, I I'm I'm just gonna be very very honest with you, ladies. I understand mom guilt, but I can't say I've really had it in the same way you guys have had it. My mom guilt was like the reverse mom guilt. It was more like when I stopped working and I stopped providing because I was disabled and I became a stay-at-home mom, my illness decided that for me. It was not my decision. I felt guilty for not working, not because I really, I mean, I was okay with working. I didn't like need to work. Um, but I felt guilty. Like I'm not, I'm a horrible example. I'm not contributing to the family. Like I, when I was working, first of all, I did feel like I had a break. I went, when I dropped my son off at daycare, 
I did feel, I did not feel bad, but this is, I think why, this is why. Um, my mom was always a working mom my entire life. I've never, my mom never oh. stayed home. She had two jobs during the holidays. Like I've only ever seen a single mom who worked. And so for me, that was normal. It was more, um, it, it, it was, it was less normal for, uh, me to stay home. Like that was foreign. So that's, that's why I, I, I think that, you know, we all experience guilt based upon what our point of reference is growing up. So sure. it makes a lot of sense. We all have it for different reasons. Um, also, I think like you guys mentioned during the pre-interview, like gender roles, cultural upbringings, you know, obviously society, social media, things like that, like that all plays a part in it too. Like if your cultural upbringing is such that, you know, the, the woman stays home and, and, and the mom, you know, raises the kids and the dad goes to work and he does is not fully involved in like all the day in and day out, you know, mm-hmm. tasks raising kids, it's going to be a different game than maybe what I was part of. Right. Absolutely. I can attest to that. Um, when I had my third child at the time, I was a clinical manager at a center where we provide behavioral health for our children with autism. That's where we met. And I had become a clinical manager, which was very much my goal is to, to go as far as I can in my career. After I had three children, my third one, um, I was the default parent uh-huh. and I was always the one who, if the kids got sick, I was the one who was staying home. If the kids needed to be picked up from school, I was the one picking them up. Um, all the dentist appointments, doctor appointments, all these things. So it really conflicted with my ability to fulfill my employment position. And it also, I was feeling guilt on so many in different ways, um, not only for my employer, because when you have three kids also, it's like you have to call in sick quite a bit and you're not the one who's sick. It's never when you're sick. No. It's never when you're we, sick. We show up to work sick because we use all of our sick time for our kids. Exactly. And when you have three of them, it's it's a lot. Somebody's always sick. It, okay. It's like two week span until everyone's okay. <laughs> okay. So I have to ask you this. Um, okay. Sure. So um, I've never had this situation, but is it just understood that in maybe the marriages you guys are in or were in um, that it's just the, the band's just not going to do it? Because in my, I'll tell you my marriage now, it would be a discussion that we would have. Like, is it just, an, it's not even a discussion? Mine has, it has become more of a discussion over time. I yeah. think the more kids we've added to the family, yeah, especially the, twins, the more discussion is needed. And so now we're in a place where it's like, um, hey, are you able to, you know, what does your day look like tomorrow? And we'll kind of decide who it's going to work best for. So we've, in my marriage, we've gotten to a place where it's become a discussion. I feel like that, why wouldn't it be? I I mean, because obviously you make a living, right? You you have a very, you you have an important career. It's not as if it's like some flyby, you know, or you're not working retail. You're not, you know, I'm not going to on any careers but you know what I'm saying like you know you're you're an educated woman out there making a good living and you have a career I mean it's I feel would be personally I feel like it would be equal but I don't know I might be naive I I I might be naive you're not naive (laughs) I just think that it really just is dependent on your situation and the circumstances I'll share that I um, was married to a a police officer who had a very demanding schedule Mm -hmm. And in his mind, he was doing his best to provide for his family by and by continuing to try to strive. And the discussions I tried to have with him when I felt like I was lagging in my position in my career, 
it was kind of like not really a discussion. It was kind of like, this is what we're doing. I'm on my career path. And what I was saying before, I was a clinical manager, but it got to a point where I couldn't really handle all of the responsibility um, because at the time, my ex-husband, he worked full-time and he, I, excuse me, not full-time, he worked um, graveyards. Right. So he was gone every night, yeah. five, four nights a week. And he was doing his best to provide for his family. Um, me, on the other hand, I was doing everything in addition to um, being a manager at a center where we work with children with autism. And I had three children and I everything was kind of on my plate. Oh my God. It came to a point where I just decided that I couldn't for my own mental and emotional well-being handle it. So I ended up letting go of my management position because I tried to communicate that I needed more help. And for whatever reason, I just was, it wasn't given. And it was kind of like, you're the mom (laughs) and you're going to like, we're on my career path. You're the mom. And so you're the one who just has to be present. And what's hard about that is like, I felt that because in my mind, I was like, yeah, I am the mom and I should be doing everything. I look back now and everything's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. So I ended up not only letting go of my management position, which I worked incredibly hard to get to. I'm sure. But I also then dropped down to part-time mm-hmm. so that I could be more present with my children. And I did this for about two years to accommodate his career. Mm-hmm. And um, I took a few or many steps back in my own career. Mm-hmm. And I once my daughter turned two, I went back full-time and I still have not come back to that clinical management position. Wow. And I'm still, I'm still working on it. So I had to really modify my plan to accommodate what was best for my family at the time. And honestly, my own mental and emotional well-being. Yeah, nobody can do it. I mean, that is just insanity to, to be able to maintain that. I mean, absolutely. And the fact that anybody would expect that of us as women is just crazy to me. I don't know. We're going to move on because I could just keep going on this. But um, <laughs> woo. I will say before I end that, um, that has changed in recent years. Yeah. Um, so that has changed and I'm back to working full time and working on my career again. And I have a lot more help than I used to. Good, 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 mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, we talked during the pre-interview. You guys know that I'm, it's not... I don't think, I just think it should be more equal than it typically is. I think it's crazy that it's not, because I live in a, I live in a home and I have raised my children in a home where it is equal. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, was more heavily on my husband in the beginning, uh, especially after my daughter, because of my disability. So I've only ever known him and I really sitting down and going, okay, who's this more important to? How do we da da da? And it's like, there's no question about the fact that everything is a discussion. Nothing is ever just understood. And so, um, I'll, but I will usually be happily the one to go and you go, you know, I'll take care of that because he's done so much, but he would never expect it, which is, so that just going back to that, like the fact that any husband would assume that it's just understood. But, but again, I'm, I might be naive because this is all I know. So, yeah. So I think you have to consider cultural differences, sure. gender roles, sure. expectations, all of that stuff. And I guess like going into the marriage, it's just maybe just, you know, going in and then that they is, but then it's one thing to know it going in. It's a whole other thing to practice it in real time. Like yeah. when the babies come and you got the careers, like, okay, we didn't really realize like what it was what, that was expected of us. As, I don't certainly know. not. You 
when you have multiple children. No, that's what I'm saying. You truly have no idea what you're getting into. (laughs) I have, Jess, I have two kids and mine are six years apart. Mm -hmm. And one I only had after age six, 50% of the time. So basically one and a half after age six. Mm -hmm. I I had, you have double and they're much closer together. Mm -hmm. So no, it's okay. Hats off to you is what I'm trying to say. Hats (laughs) off to you. Okay. Um, all right, so um, I want to move on a little bit. I want to talk about the topic of um, projection and, and competition among other women mm-hmm. um, because what, what we started to discuss in the pre-interview was, okay, is mom guilt coming from like, um, is it other women that are making us feel like we're not enough? Um, is it that they're doing so much and maybe they're placing less of a priority on their careers and they're, you know, they're the Pinterest moms and they're doing more and, and is it, is it them and are, is it that and we're, and we're sort of taking that in as, as, um, they may not be consciously judging us, but maybe we look at that and we judge ourselves. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Or do you, or do you find that women will outwardly judge or project? I think it's probably a little bit of both. Yeah. That's um, exactly what I was going to say. Okay. What's funny is that I, I asked my husband this morning before coming on the show today, and I said, where do you think mom guilt comes from? And he said, 100%, it comes from other moms. Mm. Okay, tell me about this, because I don't know. Tell me. I want to know. And uh, and so I think what he is trying to say is that you have, uh, like, you have, like, s- social media and all these different influencers where it's their one job, right, to influence you. Yeah. And they all come up with their ideas of how to be a parent and what practices they use. And they all go in with the mindset that there is a superior. And they may not necessarily say those words, but they're they're in a sense selling something. And so if you're not at where they're at meeting them or if you're doing something different, Kind of like I said a little bit earlier, you immediately feel like you're falling short. Oh, well, I'm not I'm not doing what they did. And here they are claiming to be like experts or something right. or or, you know, all these other people are agreeing with the same things and and they're all doing those things. But I'm not and it doesn't feel right for me. And so, you know, we put that we put that on ourselves yeah. a lot of time, yeah. which I, I do agree with. Yeah. And then I do think there are other mothers who do outwardly judge And, you know, and then you can be a recipient of that too. I agree. I have to say that I did experience a lot of, I guess, guilt. Um, And it was a result of maybe other people in my environment pertaining to breastfeeding, which is interesting, right? Because you're doing something that you feel is like very healthy for your child that feels natural to you. Yeah. So I have three children. I breastfed all of them for over two years. And when I wasn't home and I was working full time, of course, I was pumping to provide for them. Um, And so what I experienced was that once you go over that year mark and you continue to breastfeed, there's a lot of judgment about that. Wow. Yeah, which I think is interesting. I mean, I don't know why I'm saying, wow, I should not be surprised by this, but go ahead. (laughs) Which I think is interesting because from day one, I always supplemented with formula. And when I was told I had to use formula because my lack of milk production, I didn't even think twice about it. It's like, for me, it was kind of like, however I can feed my child Mm -hmm. and they have a full belly and they could sleep well at night, that's what I was going to do. So I know a lot of women are like 100% breast milk or 100% formula. 
I didn't really consider that. I was just doing what yeah. I thought was best um, for my child. So I actually supplemented all with formula. Yeah. And I never once judged a woman for, for formula feeding at all. Why would you? Like, it why sh- would I? It shouldn't even cross our mind. No, it really should not. It occur to me. It really should not. So it was just really interesting when I felt like I was being judged a lot for being breastfeeding, especially over the year mark. Because at the year of the age of two, um, I even breastfed for over two and a half years. And I really just allowed my children to wean at their own pace. Mm-hmm. And that's just the mother I was. And they all did it in their own time. And I let them do it in their own time. But it was amazing how judgmental people were about that. I would hear comments. Sorry, I don't. No, go ahead. I would hear comments like, oh, you know, it's time to like time to let go of that or it's time to wean or, you know, they're talking or you need to do this or you need to do that. And, you know, I felt almost like shame if I had to if I was at like a like an event or around other families or anything like that. And I continued to breastfeed. It's like, you know, and I was very much the mom like I would always cover myself up because that's what felt most comfortable to me. Um, but even having to say, you know, I'm going to take a step, I'm going to step out and I'm going to go breastfeed in a room because I'm afraid of what everyone will think. It was really interesting. I'm just, you can do, I mean, you never went. It's it's funny because there will be people who promote breastfeed, Mm -hmm. breastfeed, 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 but the second you hit a year, year and a half, it's like, oh, when are you guys going to stop? Yeah. How long, how long are you going to go for? It's like, why are you even asking that question? We will stop when we stop. It's none of your business. Who cares? It really is who none cares? of your business. Who cares? Why would you even think to care? <laughs> who to even who spend cares? a second caring about how long someone's going to breastfeed their child for? It's so bizarre to me. Because my, my twins, we just recently stopped breastfeeding. We breastfed past two years. And I can't tell you how many people said, how long are you going to go for? When are you going to stop? I, I have to say, I don't think I've, I've with potty training, I've heard it with um, like binkies, like pacifiers. Um, I mean, there are certain things like, I don't know that I've ever really heard it with breastfeed, that it was oh. like, that overt. People might be thinking, I breastfed my son, my 21 year old, um, until he was oh, about, a, about a year and he was a big baby. So I remember being in the um, like restaurants, you know, and you know, as you know, and you, you have an armful. I mean, their oh, yeah. their legs are hanging over and the whole thing. And people know that's not a baby. That's now a toddler kind right. of thing. Well, one year old's not a toddler. He just looked like one. But anyways, and I do remember people kind of side-eyeing me. I didn't care because it's your baby. You know, it's my baby. I'm, I don't give a shit what you think, you know. But um, I, yeah, I, I guess I haven't thought about it since then. I haven't thought about that, that that could still be like a thing. Yeah, it's really interesting. If you're a breastfeeding mom, it, people acknowledge that in a positive way until the year mark. After wow. that, it's all about when are you going to stop? Here's my thing, and it goes with most things. You have your opinions, whatever they are, but there's no need to like, no one, first of all, why why do you care? Like have the opinion, then move on. Secondly, it's it's not unnecessary mm-hmm. to to shame somebody for something they're doing for their child that they feel is in the best interest for their child. Like what your opinion is not needed. So just keep to yourself. I don't know. I just don't. I, I'm really put off by that. That's it's very real though. Versus when yeah. she made it to two years breastfeeding twins. I can't. I. That's unfathomable. It really is. And I told her you should have. You should be congratulated. She was. We actually did a photo shoot to kind of celebrate. And so I did a photo shoot of me nursing, mm-hmm. nursing the girls. So we mm-hmm. have um, 
So we kind of commemorate it with those photos. And by the way, the same goes for um, formula moms. I, I don't give a crap if you give your baby formula. Like I would not, either way, I remember one of my best friends, um, she was formula only. I was breastfeeding only and we would get together and um, hang out. And the only reason I ever felt bad for her or her baby was because she had to go warm up the milk and da 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 da. And I'm like, That's, this is so much easier. But never once was it like, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing that. I just mm-hmm. felt like, why don't you just throw them on there? It's just so much easier. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just to even, yeah. So before wow. we move on, I, sorry, this is something I'm well, passionate yeah, yeah, about. Yeah. What also really bothered me is that people would say after two years, like, why do you feel the need to breastfeed? And what they didn't understand is that in addition to giving your child all the nutrients and all the beautiful things about natural breast milk that we were literally designed to provide for our children, there's also a social emotional connection that comes along with that. And I was an attachment parent, even though I didn't initially mean to be, but it turned out to be what felt the most uh, natural to me and was my instinct. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's just really interesting how the social and emotional connection, that doesn't resonate with people. They're kind of like, well, it's all about nutrition. But for me, if I'm away at work for eight, nine, 10 hours and I walk in, my baby sees me, literally runs to me. And it was a way that we always connected after being away from them all day. Mm-hmm. I remember. And people, it was interesting. No one really valued that or thought of it as like, you're being a good mom. <laughs> it was kind of like. No, it was yeah. the best part of breastfeeding. For me, I felt like it, it was, was the best part of breastfeeding. It was such a, it is, uh, yeah. It's funny, even this long, you know, with both my kids, it was like, it's such a, if, if you are fortunate to be able to, and you do decide to stick with it, it is a beautiful connection and to be able to feed your child from your body. I don't know. I personally felt that. No, I've never really heard anybody talk about it like that, but I definitely feel it. Like even still, I remember um, it's powerful. And not to say you can't have that same emotional connection when you're using a bottle to feed your baby. And I think that's great for a father to be able to do that as well, to develop that bonding. Um, I just don't like it when it's it's counted. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Because like just for me and what worked with me and my child, that's what I did. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate that people are very judgmental about that in a negative way. Yeah, man. I don't know if it, I don't think it's intentional. No, people are, I think people are curious, but sometimes it can come across as insulting. Sure. You know? Well, um, if you're, if your style of parenting doesn't coexist or doesn't align with theirs. Right. Which is the reason why, you know, Again, who knew? This is another topic of the podcast. It's like misunder- people misunderstand things. They don't understand things. They judge it before they understand it. And who knew that breastfeeding fell within that, <laughs> within that right. little bracket? And um, it really is about women and women feeling this like competitive with each other. Yeah. Like they, you know, if one mom can't breastfeed or if one mom can't do this, can't do that, it sometimes makes them perhaps feel a little inferior. Yeah. And so, or something along that nature. Like maybe they're doing something wrong. Right. And so they may project it to make, maybe them make themselves feel better. I'm not quite sure, but yeah. I think that I th- goes along with the the question of this. I think like, I don't think we've huge. ever heard a man ask you how long you're going to continue breastfeeding. No. Cause it just probably has never crossed their mind. No. Or a man ask another man, Hey, how long is your wife going to continue? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, they don't. Yeah. I've heard you guys talk about this on your podcast too, about how yeah. men just don't there's the competition doesn't really exist within no. men. No, there's um, no competition with men. In like the whole unsolicited advice from other moms, um, do do you guys on other topics have you guys had that where people will try to tell you what kind of mothers to be? I I, I don't I can't say I really have had that. 
personally. I mean, I know it exists. You're lucky. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. And it's not because I trust me. It's not because I was doing everything right. It's probably because I was um, more isolated, I guess. But um, for that, maybe during those years. Um, but what what kinds of things do you guys get, or have you gotten? I think unsolicited advice starts with the pregnancy. Mm. Yes. People, I mean, you tell somebody you're pregnant or that you're expecting, every, everybody all of a sudden has so much to say mm-hmm. about the pregnancy, the delivery, and then it's like every stage of parenting that you go through, mm-hmm. everybody just has so much to say about, yeah. about everything. Yeah. Well, I, I find that um, I've heard this recently, so I've had to stop doing it because I started, I noticed I was doing it, but I find that people will say like, those of you moms out there of older kids that say, um, don't blink, it goes so fast, or the things that you complain about now, you'll wish you, you know, later, da, da, da. And I remember I started talking like that because I feel like it's so true. Like the stuff that we stress about when we have little kids, when they're like 15, 16, 17, you're like, you would long to have those days back. You would give anything to have one more of those days back. So you find yourself telling younger moms like, I promise you, you're going to miss this. But the moms don't want to hear it. They're like, fuck you. Basically, yeah. like, I do not want to hear that I'm going to miss this. But it's it's a way of, like, trying to tell you, like, just enjoy it. I know that's hard. because I. But I remember people doing that to me. And I would, I don't know that I would get annoyed. I, prob- I probably discounted it. I probably just didn't think, I'm probably, sure, okay, mm-hmm. I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you guys get that a lot from older moms like myself? Yes. 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 I'm sorry on behalf of all of us. Oh no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that's a little bit different. We know we know you mean well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. We know that that comes from a really good place. I think more, I think all moms mean well mm-hmm. with their unsolicited advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> I probably depends on um yeah. Obviously you have a story you need to yeah, tell no, right tell now. Us, tell us. <laughs> I, I don't I don't really Spill have tea, any Laura. <laughs> I don't think I have any really specific stories. Um, you know, just about if you're, you know, if your child is sick, okay. And it's like, oh, don't give them this. Oh yeah. Make Uh, sure you don't, you know, make sure you don't, don't do this or don't give them this. uh Uh, you know, and it might be something as little as that. And, you know, you're probably right. It is, it's coming from a good place. Um, you know, or make sure their bath water isn't too hot. Don't put bubbles in the bubble bath. Are you talking about like your parents or like your mom or in-laws or are you talking about like your friend or like women that you work like? peers peers probably women in my environment oh like Mm -hmm. peers Mm -hmm. like not older oh I know older women will do that yeah and older women okay yeah yeah I have a lot of examples of unsolicited advice that I could come up with but I'll I'll uh restrain myself to just two um (laughs) (laughs) two examples so what I've heard a lot especially when all of my children were under the age of three Mm -hmm. um and it was always from an older mom and she would always say don't worry about the chores. Don't worry about all the ho- the housework. Just be as present as possible, which is great. That's great advice. But is that realistic? I don't think Especially so. Especially when you you are the one who essentially does 90% of the housework. Yeah. In addition to working full-time, everything is on your plate. Yeah. So how... What I find to be the least, that's not helpful whatsoever because here's what happens when you're like always present mm-hmm. and you're always playing and you forget the chores. Mm-hmm. They all pile up. Yeah. And guess who has to do them anyway? Me. 100%. Right? Yeah. And so I never really valued that advice just because I don't feel like that is realistic. Yeah. I think that what I've learned to do is just I have time for chores. I have time where I sit down and I play Uno with my kids and I'm fully engaged. 
but you can't just completely forget about everything else. And also it's actually very unhealthy for a child to grow up in a messy, cluttered totally. environment, right? Totally. Yeah. Because too much stuff yeah. um, ends up with over, uh, overstimulation. Yeah. So for me, it was always very important to have like a clean space for them to play in. Yeah. Not to say my house is like perfect no, no, or clean I mean, or anything, but <laughs> I do try to keep the mess to a limit, which is very hard when you have three children. Yeah. It's a never ending job, mm-hmm. but to tell someone just forget the house chores, like mm, that's not very helpful no, because that's not. also not realistic. Yeah, no. And it, it, I, I will tell you my ki- my kids now and your kids might start doing this too. Um will not that I had the most like clean. I always um, probably like you I always kept my house up where I had somebody come in and help me when I couldn't when I was during my sicker years and my kids noticed a difference between like the homes they went to that were like you know not so well kept or whatever the parents weren't, you know. Um and they appreciated it. Oh, it was yeah. a, like it for them it felt like you know, safer, more comfortable, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're, I, I won't go into too much detail, but, but the kids do notice is I guess what I'm trying to oh, say. Yeah. But I think they totally I, notice. What's, something that's funny is one of it, your, it was within your first two episodes that you guys, um, launched, um, with your podcast that, um, you were talking about how you were, I'm, I'm going to ruin the wording, but like how you're going to try to be more, more present or try to be more like less stressed or like something about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was, be careful with that mm-hmm. because I went the other, I did, I did that. I went, I went the other direction to where I went from being like very type A, very controlling, very like go, go, go mm-hmm. to like nothingness, but not even just because of my illness, but even like after that, like I just did not stress about anything, procrastinated, was super in the moment, super, um, engaged and present and all the, and it was one, it is wonderful. I love it. But be careful with that mm-hmm. because that um, can get addicting too. And then, like you said, it all, you just have to, it, it's, I know balance is unachievable, mm-hmm. but it, there's pluses and minuses to both. So mm-hmm. the goal is to just be, you know, prioritize the important things and things that are not important. Don't stress over them, you know? Yeah. I think the, the best advice you can give another mother is just do the best you can yeah. every yeah. day yeah. and show up. And just be present as much as you can. I mean, that's all it is. And, and nobody knows our families like we do. So right. how how would I know how to tell you how to, you know, be a different or better mom? Only you know. And to think that we're all created the same. When we talked about this too, like, I think it was you guys I was talking about this. Like, to think that there's some standard and we're all supposed to be um, the same is, is, is crazy. And, but I know that, you know. And I think the standards standards are different across cultures. Yeah, you know what looks yeah. like um, what looks like what's expected is different in every household, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and also, so you had asked me another uh, unsolicited advice. So, like I mentioned before, yeah. I ended up co sleeping, and the reason was, and this started with my first child, um, and there was a lot of guilt that came with that. A lot of women didn't, or a lot of people in my environment did not think I was doing the right thing. But here's what happened. Like I mentioned before, my ex-husband worked graveyards. So here I am with a six-month-old baby who would, he had, he still to this day is not a good sleeper and he's 11. Mm. He just wouldn't sleep. And I tried the crowd out method. I tried so hard to train him, but it got to a point where I was so sleep deprived and I was doing this by myself. It got to a point where I just, I, I could not even get up for work. 
and I was going to work with three to two hours of sleep. And so one night I just had had it and I brought him into my bed and I slept with, you know, we both slept well. And it was the first time in a long time I had that much sleep. And yeah. so I just continued to do that with all three of my children. And I think that goes against a, a lot of people have a lot to say about that. And Why? at that. Why? <laughs> That's a good question. Why? You owe, you everybody got sleep. Who cares? However, you got to do. I mean, I, the things that people have opinions on. I mean, come on. And they're. Why? Is, and does he still sleep with you? Does he still? No, he just, he's so, 11. So, but hey, will he come in my look, bag and snuggle with me we still? All lived, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. What's funny is how, how different experiences that we each had because all three of my babies, for the most part, like went right to the crib. She's mm -hmm. like a wizard with like crib training. Yeah. It's, it, it's amazing. You, I, and I always tell you that. I'm like, I don't know how you do that. That's did great. It. It's amazing. I mean, yeah. And, um, I mean, not, I mean, Obviously, there's like a bond and a connection there that that you get when you do, when you do co-sleep. But I, I just needed to be alone and have nobody touch me and sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? You slept. And better. I just needed to sleep, so that's yeah, why I brought him in the bed. <laughs> she slept better with them in the crib, and mm -hmm. you slept better with the baby. Mm -hmm. So, however you sleep, yeah, is, right. the goal is sleep. The goal the is end. the goal is sleep. However, whatever you get that there. looks like, however you get there to get the best night's sleep, you do that for you. It's, and it's so crazy for someone to think that if they were to be put in your position, that they would do any different. Right. You're telling me that person would be a walking zombie and hallucinating from lack of sleep. They would choose that over just finally putting the baby next. I mean, right. come on. Well, then you hear all these things like, oh, you're going to spoil the child or they're going to be too needy or too sensitive or they'll never be able to sleep on their own. And it's so funny because my children, I have to say, I mean, she knows them. They're all very confident, mm -hmm. very well-behaved children. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I mean, yes, they're attached to me in a certain way, but it's not like they can't spend time without me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't mind that so much because you know what? They all become teenagers and they all get their own lives in a little bit of attachment. You know, that foundation to know, to to have, um, I think, listen, I feel like take it when you can get it. That's what I feel absolutely. like. Absolutely. Because, you know, they're not always like when I asked you, obviously, it's a rhetorical question. Is he still in your bed? I kind of figured an 11 year old boy is probably not still sleeping. No, but like you've got to spend all that time like snuggling mm -hmm. with your baby. Like and I do know, not regret that. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. No, there's a, lot, there's a few things good. I regret, but I don't regret that. Yeah, same, <laughs> same. Um, OK. <clears throat> all right. So I do. I think we, we all have different areas where we're strongest in different areas where we struggle a little bit more. I thought it would be interesting for us to share which areas of motherhood that we all feel most confident or which areas we're feeling most um, challenged. I feel like for me, I'm most confident in being able to be, to communicate as a mom, to have that um, emotional verbal connection. I'm a really good communicator, which is why I'm a podcast. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm a writer and like words are my friend. And uh -huh. so that's my strength. Like, and I know it's my strength. My kids have told me that's my strength re repeatedly. The advice I give to them, they give to their friends. So it's like, I, I'm very confident in my connection with them on a communication level. Where I I struggle and I've always struggled is I'm not the fun mom. I don't, I don't, I'm not spontaneous. I don't do adventures. I'm the stable mom. I'm always here. They always know where to find me. They can always get in touch with me. I don't live, I don't leave a lead an exciting life. But, um, yeah, that's mine. What are your guys's? Should I to go first? <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting because I've been thinking about this question oh. for a solid week. Yeah. Trying, in, um, in a very uh, looking inward yeah. type of way, like, you know, where do I feel like my strengths are? What do I feel like my challenges are? And honestly, I feel like I am still in the trenches right now. Yeah, you maybe can't see. 
because my kids, I have, you know, they're five and under. And so I feel like I haven't even yet come to a place where I'm able to identify like what my strengths are and what my challenges are because we are in it. Mm. And, um, you know, so I, and I feel like those strengths and those weaknesses will probably come with time. And as my kids get older with their own set of challenges, like my twins are barely talking. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, so they're two, right? mm Mm-hmm. My daughter didn't talk till she over three. Yeah. So it's, you know, everything is a guessing game. Yeah. yeah what do yeah. you want? Do you want this? Do you want that? It's like, it's like, I'm just playing a guessing game 90% of the time. What do you want? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, but I will say with my five-year-old son, I think one way in, in which I feel like I am, I, uh, is a strength for us in the way that I have a relationship with him is he's pretty sensitive and I'm super empathetic. And so I feel like I'm able to give him a safe space that he needs to express his emotions, mm-hmm. um, you know, and be able to do so in a way where he's going to feel open and honest with me about it. Um, like we just had our, our cousins over. They spent the night with us and, you know, they were here for the weekend, uh, his cousins, so my nephews. And today, um, you know, he came to me and he was like, mama, I'm sad. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, I really miss my cousins. And he kind of like started to cry and like a couple of tears came down his face. And, and I'm like, you know, thanks for telling me. And I gave him a big hug and I'm like, it's okay to be sad. Like, you know, I, you know, remember missing my cousins, but just kind of that like empathy. And I, and I feel like he's just like me in that way. So, um, but we're just now getting to a point where he's able to express that and we can kind of connect on that. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. And it's good that you validate, you know, his feelings and stuff. And instead of, I mean, I think sometimes we go right to cheering them up. Oh, so, you know, like, and it's like, you really were able to relate with him. Like, I know, you know, you know yeah. what that feels like as well, which well, is so cool. Yeah. Or like, uh, you know, when special events or holidays are over, um, I get sad. Yeah. And, and I noticed he does, he does too. And so when Halloween ended, I said something to him like, man, I'm really sad Halloween is over. And he said, mama, if every day were Halloween, it wouldn't be as special, (laughs) which is something, (laughs) which is something that I've kind of said to him throughout the years Mm -hmm. about, you know, if, you know, things have to end, if they didn't, it it wouldn't make that day as special as it is if we had it every day. And so really yeah. For the fact for for him to kind of like understand that and then use it as a way to kind of console me when I let him know how I was feeling that way. I was like, wow. So cool. Yeah, I love your son. He's so sweet. <laughs> so sweet. So I'll be interested to see how he turns out. I mean, he sounds yeah, like a little bit of an old soul. Yeah, how about I you? I would say my strength currently when the babies were young. I think my strength was I was uh, very attentive. I was a very I was very always socially connected my, to my kids. Like I knew what they needed without even, you know, mm-hmm. I could just look at them and knew what they needed. And I I was the mom who like never let the baby cry, yeah, <laughs> which was really exhausting for me. Yeah, but it was good from the ba- the, the yeah. children. So that as as a mother of young babies, I was very good at that. I was very engaged. I I don't think I left my daughter overnight until she was three. Okay. I didn't leave my oldest son until he was two and a half. Some may say that was unhealthy. And I think looking back, I probably should have had more breaks for myself. But to looking back, I was just very present. I was given a hundred percent. So that was my strength then. I think my strength now with a preteen and the age of my, my children, I know it's a preteen. I know it's no. a trip. Um, I think currently what my strength is, is that I am able to really 
because of what we do for a living behavior analysts, I'm able to really work with my children on their social and emotional development and self-regulation. And so a lot of times when they are upset or they're crying, I'm in the moment teaching them what to do, what to say, Mm -hmm. instead of responding in a negative way. So for example, if my son is upset uh, because he lost a game to his brother, instead of when he like throws something or gets mad to express himself, I stop him in the moment and say, okay, what are you trying to say right now? What would make you feel better? And then he says, I'm mad that I lost. Great. Let's try it again. Mm -hmm. So then I set up the opportunity for him to lose again. And I immediately teach him to say that instead of throwing something. And so I think where my, my, I'm, my strength is, is in that like I'm able to teach them in the moment how to regulate themselves. And And you're really trained in this. It's what I do for a living. Yeah. 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 So, so I really, I really love that part of it. Um, I know that you were going to ask us what, uh, what our biggest challenges yeah, yeah, also. Yeah. I think my biggest, biggest challenge right now in this moment is um, I recently went through a divorce, which as you know, is very, very difficult. Yeah. And I think the biggest challenge for me has been protecting my children from that storm. <laughs> so hard. And my, my son was a baby, so it's completely different for you than, it, you know, um, I'm, yeah. Yeah. How, how are, they? well, probably not something you want to like broadcast, but. I will talk yeah. about it yeah. very openly because I'm very proud of my children. Yeah, good, um, good, they're good. handling it in the best way possible. They've proven that they're very resilient. Um, if you didn't, if you did not know that and you met my children, you would never think that they were going through what they're going through. Um, so I'm very proud of them because it certainly has not been easy. Yeah. And, and you, and you openly talk about it with them. It's like a, I do. Yeah, I think that that matters too. Like if they're not allowed to talk, I know some families where they're not allowed to talk about their dad when they're around their mom and vice versa, which I don't think is good. It's not good. And what I've recently started doing, because boys are hard, I'm noticing, the older they get, the less they're talking to me. Yeah. Um, And they're they're kind of like, no, mom, I'm fine. I don't want to talk about it. But what I'm pushing myself to do is to really sit down with them and be present and say, I want you to know you you can talk to me about anything. Anything. And so what that looks like for me, just last night I did this, I pulled them in one at a time into like a, a, my, my bedroom and I made oh. them come in and we cuddle and I just say like, what's going on? And it's amazing. Like when the other, their siblings aren't around mm-hmm. and I, they have my full attention, they really do open up. That's when they open up. It's a hundred percent true. I agree. Sure. So that's what I'm doing. I'm really trying. And I've, I've learned that with men, men and I don't know where this come from, comes from, and I, I guess it's based on all different family, family dynamics, but men tend to not want to talk about their emotions and talk about what they're feeling. And I want my sons to, when they're married, when they're, when they're teens, I want them to come to me and be able to tell me anything. Yeah. And, and, and uh, so I'm starting that now. Yeah, good. That's amazing. That's awesome. And I think that, that there's so much truth to that, what you were saying about when they're away from their siblings. When my son moved out and went um, to college down south, and it was just my daughter at home, and I guess she was 11 when he, no, 12 when he moved out. Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly she's, I mean, she's still an introvert, but suddenly she has opinions that we didn't even know about. Like mm. suddenly she's like a big part of the conversations. And it was just because, you know, when, when they're always around the siblings, it's like yeah. they're not sure where their voice, especially she's the youngest. Mm-hmm. So that's really awesome on, on your part to, that you had thought about that because um, that's good advice too. It's really good advice. Really good advice for the listeners to for me. to pull each one 
Yeah. Yeah. To pull each child aside individually, because I know in, in my notes here somewhere, we're going to talk about, um, if you guys like discipline or, um, maybe we'll just jump to that. Um, yeah. If you adjust your parenting style based on what child you're dealing with, mm-hmm. like, or is that, or your communication style? I mean, are, are all your kids pretty different than the others? Do you want to speak on this or should I go for it? Go ahead. Okay. So, um, I wouldn't say my parenting style changes. I'm authoritative with all of my children, but my communication style does change based on my children. So it's amazing how three children from one environment could all be so different. (laughs) And it's based on personality. I believe there's something to be said about birth order. Um, But for example, my oldest son is a very sensitive, sweet, kind child. And my younger son is a bit of a beast. (laughs) He, and he's just not sensitive and he's very confident and nothing breaks him. So what I have found in my time is that when I talk to my older son, I never raise my voice to him. I never yell at him because that does not do well for him. Mm -hmm. As soon as you do that, he shuts down and he learns nothing. Mm -hmm. With my old, with my younger son, if I talk to him gently, he runs all over me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he does. And I have to mind my gangster with him. I'm sorry. This is something I always talk no, about. it's true. But I he, did. like, pushes my buttons. Like, yeah. So with him, I, in order for him to listen to me at all, yeah. I have to be very firm with him. Yeah. Very firm. Yeah. Um, I have to make sure I have his attention. If I say things too gently again, he runs all over me. So I so I become a more uh, authority, authority, authoritative, yeah, authoritative <laughs> yeah. with him yeah. on that level. Yeah. Um, with my daughter, it's interesting. And I think this is, goes more into like gender. I, because I know what it's like to grow up as a little girl and to be yelled at and all that good stuff. And I think that in my personal experience and opinion, I don't think you should speak to girls and there should be no yelling because mm-hmm. what happens with little girls, they become very insecure mm-hmm. and they get, they get very scared. Mm-hmm. And I think they're just built different. Mm-hmm. So with my daughter, I never yell at my daughter. Good. Well, I yeah. will, I will look at her yeah. and get her attention. And we just talk about it. And I say, when you're not listening, this is what you're telling mommy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I walk her through the experience of what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. And I say, <coughs> If you don't listen, what happens is I then want to yell because I feel like I can't get you to listen, but I don't feel good about that. How do you feel when you get yelled at? And she's like, I don't like it. I'm like, I don't like it either. So, and you know, she's five. So I've just been able to start having that discussion with her. So I never yell at my daughter. I sometimes will yell at my middle child. Yeah. He's a middle child and he just walks to the beat of his own drum. And then my oldest son, I will never raise my voice. Wow. So it's interesting. So I adjust yeah. to them. I adjust to their personalities. So, yeah. To, Cause to think that one way would work with all, I mean, that, that was my experience too. Like I thought I would parent my daughter the same way as my son. And no, no. And you just learn that through time. Yeah, you do. And you learn what works and what doesn't work and what right. worked with him doesn't work with her. Exactly. So, and we had to figure out what does and, um, and what works for her would never work with him. Right. So how about you? I think I'm still in the learning stages um my son though he he's pretty sensitive kind of like reminds me a little bit of melvin and um he does not do well being yelled at yeah and so i don't really like to yell at my kids either and when i do yell i feel incredibly guilty and i immediately have to like apologize 
Um, and just so you know, for all our listeners, like we definitely yell and, and we definitely, yell. and then when we do, we text each other and we're like, I yelled. And the worst yeah. mom ever. Yeah. I yelled I at my kids. so bad. So I yelled are, at them. Are either one of your guys' kids have ADHD do it, or no? Oh gosh. Yeah. I, I find I yelled the most, well, I know my daughter, I never, she's such a good kid. She's really hard to like, she doesn't piss anybody off to, to get, I mean, she's just a very, she's one of those kids that's almost like afraid to mess up, but nobody's ever threatened her. I'm like, where does this fear come from? Like, right. I don't even understand. Right. But an eight, you guys obviously being behavioral analysts, yes. you know mm-hmm. what that's like. And oh, my, my son, you would never know it today, but he was the worst with 80. I mean, we could not get him to like settle down and yeah. we would have to threaten him with everything. Right. And I would lose it. I mean, not every day, but there were times and then I felt terrible because you just, you're at, yeah, man, I can like feel my blood boiling just thinking yeah. about it. I think I need to have therapy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just kidding. Well, I will say the thing about being behavior analysts is we do assessments on children all the time, right? So when it comes to your own children, yeah, like I definitely thought my oldest son had ADHD. Yeah. And I was fully expecting that once he transitioned into school that his teachers would report that yeah. because he had a hard time focusing. He had a lot of, um, we call them stereotypic behaviors where you kind of like jump around when you're excited. And he had a lot of these things could not sustain attention for a long time. So once he got into school, I was full on expecting him to to be evaluated for that. But every parent-teacher conference I went to, they would say, like, he has no problem like paying attention, right? And I was genuinely, genuinely surprised by that. Um, Because I think what's hard about what we do is sometimes you, like, you're overly sensitive when you look at your child and you're like, oh, they're not talking yet, or oh, they're doing this, or they shouldn't be doing that. So that's kind of something... That's very, hard. Very, very picky. Yeah. Everything is like you're just looking at something through yeah. a, a microscopic mm-hmm. lens. Um, like one of my twins, I have been worried about her speech development probably since about nine months. When she was nine months yeah. old, I had concerns and I would kind of bring them up to the pediatrician and he would say, you have nothing to worry about. And, you know, my husband said, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. And um I mean, even now she's a little over two and her speech development is a tad behind, um, but everything else in her development is, is on track. So there are no concerns, but I, but it was something I noticed like, and I was being very picky. I think too, because you work with, with, um, Mm -hmm. spectrum disorders, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be extra sensitive for like speech delays and things like that. So that's totally understandable I, mm-hmm. I think I think I would my daughter didn't talk into just a side note my daughter didn't talk until like well into th- I mean she said words but didn't make any sense till like well into her third year mm. and now I look at her and I go she could and it's not like this isn't like news she could be on the spectrum possibly um high functioning like I don't think anybody would really know because there's certain things about her but um like she's still like a perfect student, per, like all the things. But um, but are is that like a sign? Like if they don't speak until like maybe they're three and a half or going towards four, that's probably like a big sign, huh? That there that would be a developmental delay. Yeah, mm-hmm. she, and then she didn't walk until like a year and a half. She didn't she didn't crawl until a year. <laughs> oh, okay, that I think yeah. is more. Um, just a little late, but yeah. I don't think that's. I think she. Uh, we always say she's a lazy baby. <laughs> like she just was like very complacent, very you know. Yeah. And so we, but because she's so introverted and she's very stoic, mm-hmm. we always and, and she's not super affectionate. 
she jokes about it. She goes, oh, it's my autism. And I'm like, you're not autistic. <laughs> it's her sense of humor. She's very dry, dry sense of humor. Right. And because she keeps bringing it up, I'm like, I need to look this up. Like, mm-hmm. what is she talking about? Mm-hmm. Anyways, totally, total side note. But mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about your twins because um, I think people just assume that, you know, they're twins, so they must be, you know, similar in all things, but they're probably not. They could not be more different. Right? I, I w- yeah, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what different. I've heard. Yeah, they could not be more different um, in the way that they look, mm-hmm. um, in their size. And uh, Elizabeth, she is just kind of like a little beast, and she just runs around like a little wildebeest all the time. And she's like laughing and she's expressive and she makes all these funny faces. Whereas Eden is very much more reserved, stoic, mm. almost kind of like she's kind of like an old soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she's she's just wise beyond her she's years. She's not quite talking. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's almost like she chooses it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like need to say anything. She just <laughs> observes the world around her yes. and takes mm-hmm. it all in. That's how my daughter, same thing. Yeah, it's so and funny. It's not necessarily a bad thing, I don't think. No. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay, so I wanted to switch gears a bit, and um, I want to ask, or I want to tell you guys, I, we, we talked a little bit about this. A few years back, I know the listeners probably don't know, a few years back I was working on a book that I eventually, I eventually gave up on it due to some health challenges, but the book was going to be called I Can't Care About Everything, and it's the idea that everything is important and we are all expected to care about everything with equal energy. And um, I did a bit of research, obviously, when I was writing. And what I found was, and by the way, this isn't exhaustive research or empirical empirical data, but um, these are just the trends I noticed. The moms who prioritized homemaking, so the ones who cooked and cleaned and had a Pinterest-worthy home and, and life and family, they spent, on average, less time focused on health, fitness, self-care, having a career, and the moms who prioritize health, fitness, and self-care, so moms who worked worked out every day, they very clean, they prioritize self-care for themselves, and they don't really stress about um, the aesthetics or the image they're projecting. Not not their personal image of themselves, but the image they're projecting spent on average less time on homemaking. Interesting. Um, yeah, so the, th- the thing is you can make an argument for both lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Um, both are important. But we started to talk about this, of course, as we were setting up and we're like, oh, better save this for the podcast. But the question is always like, can we care equally about all of it? Like I'd always joke and say, I go to my chiropractor and he's telling me the most important thing is that you go to the chiropractor once a a week. You go to the dentist and the most important thing is that you brush twice and floss twice a day and make sure you get your cleanings. You go to to your um, esthetician for your skin and you need to use these products. It's the most important thing. You go to your hair person, you go to, you know, your, your personal trainer. It's like, Everything is so important. And then, by the way, you got to be a mom and you have a career and, 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 and you have to run a household. Mm-hmm. You cannot care equally about everything. You just can't. And, and the idea and, and what's going to matter a lot to me, it it's not going to matter the same amount to you. But something that matters a lot to you may not matter a lot to me. But the opinions, this goes back to sort of the projecting and stuff, the, the, opin- the, the idea that we're all going to have the same opinion about these things is ludicrous. Ludicrous. So the question is, can we care equally about everything? I, I always feel like each one of those camps wants to incorporate more of the other's habits into their lifestyle because the busy moms are always saying how they need to focus more on taking care of themselves and they need to exercise. And um, these are the moms that, you know, put everybody before themselves. The moms who don't put pressure on themselves oftentimes will feel like maybe they should be caring more. Like, for example, these are the moms who maybe wouldn't volunteer to be a team mom and they're not throwing the epic birthday parties and mm-hmm. they don't have their kids enrolled in all the activities. And 
So where do you guys fall on this? Because I feel like most people are a mix with one style being slightly more dominant. And again, obviously it's not empirical data, but where do you guys feel like you fall on that little spectrum I outlined for you? Well, I have to say that I, I find your your findings interesting because <laughs> it's not exhaustive. <laughs> right. It's right. just like, yeah. Yeah. But it's all based on your environment, yeah, right? Yeah, and the exactly. women in your environment. Exactly. And what I've seen actually is that the women who stay at home and work for the family in their home is, and what I mean by that is, yeah. Okay. I, in one of my episodes, I talked about how I think stay-at-home moms work really, really yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. And in my mind, they work for their family. Yeah. So what I've observed is that those moms are better at taking care of themselves and really? exercising. Oh, yeah. And what I see is that the moms who are working, their their self-care is the bottom, at the bottom of the list because they're giving, giving, giving. Oh. And there's it's very hard to find time to take care of yourself as a working mom, oh, okay. in my opinion. So when you're struggling to to stay afloat on everything, what I've seen is that self-care is the first mm. thing to go for mom mm. because everyone else's needs mean more. Yeah. So that's what I observe. That's okay. why I think that's very interesting. Yeah. It, um, it depends on your circle probably. Exactly. Yeah. I think yeah. it depends exactly on and your environment group. and the age group and all that good stuff. Um, so for me, I think that can you care about it all? Sure. But can you implement it all equally and do it all? I would say most of the time, no. I think it takes a certain type of person to do it all. If you asked me if five years ago I was doing it all and doing it well, I would say no as a mother. But I'm also now in this different season of my life with my children. They're older. And so if you ask me if I'm doing it all now, I would say yes. Yeah. Um, and well, you know, yeah. in my mind, uh, I was raised by JLo and Beyonce <laughs> <laughs> and I have women I've always looked up to like Jennifer Lopez. I always talk about Jennifer Lopez cause to me, she's just like been the most influential woman in my life as a Latina and everything. And she talks about how you can do it all. And I'm with it. Like, yeah. I'm just like, yeah, I can do it all. I could yeah. be a mom. I can work. I could, I could be a great friend. I can, I could be really into fitness. There's all these things. And now at this period of my life, because my children are older mm -hmm. and I'm getting my little pink feathers back, mm, um, I, I do, that. I do believe I can do it all. Yeah. Had you asked me that when my children were six and all under, absolutely yeah. not. I lost my feathers. And I say yeah. that because we talk about the flamingos. The flamingos. <laughs> yeah. How the moms lose their, for the listeners, the moms lose their pink, right? The pink feathers. Yes. So the flamingo is the only, and I, I learned this from a reel. It's the only animal in, in the world where God allows you to see the, the exhaustion and the stress that goes through motherhood. Yeah. And when you're giving yourself to every, you're giving yourself to everyone else, you lose uh, the color. Yeah. And I, I like not only lost my pink feathers, I like lost my feathers. Like I was bald. <laughs> so you're really making up for like lost time. I am. I feel like, yeah. And you feel good about it. Like yeah. where you're at right now. It's, it's, I can see that. It's really, it's clear. And I think it's that, empowering. Yeah. It's very, well, it gives everybody hope, you know, that especially those who are watching, um, you know, it's like, it gives everybody hope that if, well, she can, then maybe I can, because I have always said, and you're challenging me on this a little bit, so makes to think a little differently about this. I have always said you can do it all, but just not all at once. So like, I'm there with you. I so agree a hundred percent. Like I could do like right now, I'm very immersed in podcasting. Like I, it's, I'd say, seventy five percent of my life is my podcasting, and then twenty five percent is my family. But seventy five percent. 
99% of my life was my family up until this year. So it's like, you know, so it's really switching and I'm in, um, trying to find that balance, which we all know balance balance is bullshit. But, um, but I've always tried, I've always thought to myself, like, I've always just said, like you, Kim, you just have to accept the fact that you're going to be imbalanced for a while because you can't, you can do it all, just not all at once at some point, maybe. Um, I feel like my husband's one of the best at that. Like he's just able to just have his hands in everything just somehow. And just, he's like, he's like a duck. It's like gliding across the yeah. pond, but the legs underneath are like yeah. going and nobody really sees. Yeah. All men are so thing. intriguing mm-hmm. because oh, wow. I feel like men do one thing at a time and I could be wrong, but women are multitaskers by nature. Cause we have to be right. Yeah. Men just seem to focus on the present moment, what's in the moment, and, like, nothing else. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you're right. They're, like, just, like, floating ducks. Yeah. yeah. He, he's just, like, <laughs> next, next, next. And he doesn't get overwhelmed. He's like, okay, on to the yeah, next, on to the next. They don't get overwhelmed. juggle it all at once. Yeah. That's why the all at once thing. Um, okay. So something I learned, and this word is probably going to come up a, a little bit, um, the idea of things being counterintuitive. Something I learned as a mom is I think um, – one of the most difficult aspects of parenting is the fact that a lot of times doing what is best for our children is sometimes the most counterintuitive decision, meaning we are wired to nurture and protect. Um, and yet sometimes wrapping them in bubble wrap till they're 18 is not the best idea for their future. So it's like trying to, I mean, I talked about this with my son too. Like I did not want him to go away to college. I did not want him. I was so sad I cried for a year I cried the year leading up to him leaving then I cried for like three months after he left I mean it is counterintuitive to push your child out of the nest it's counter I mean everything about their growth what we have to do as parents is so counterintuitive um have you guys struggled with that I mean I know your kids are still little but like knowing when not to coddle and when to like step up like a a more more of the I don't want to say iron fist because I don't really parent that way but more like with my daughter, my my daughter could get away with murder because she's such a good kid. Mm-hmm. She's such she's so well behaved. So she'll ask for things and she just gets it because she's such a good kid. But I have to like be like, well, no, you have to earn that. Now, can I just give it to her? Yeah, but I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm teaching her nothing. You know? Right. Do you guys have? I know I'm talking about a 15 and a half year old. Have a, do you guys have anything like that? Yeah, it's a little different for me again because my kids are so young. Right. So so these situations that are applicable to me are are you know those little those little parenting moments where like, should I attend to you because you're crying, even though I know it's for attention. That's a perfect, that's a perfect example. And my BCBA background will say, no, don't do it because if they're doing it for attention, you don't want to give it attention because right. it's just going to reinforce that behavior. Right. But then there's a, a, an intuition in me or my mother's instinct while saying that, well, right now they need your, their, your love and affection. Right. And so it's like, you know, which one do I, which one do I choose? And I oftentimes choose like giving them the love and affection, which kind of goes against, I don't know though, what this we study age? in behavior analysis, but again, my, I mean, my kids are so young. Yeah. So at this age, I feel like that's takes priority. No, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I, I don't know. I would like, to, I would think so. I would think mm-hmm. so. I would think now if it's a tantrum, like in a store because they can't have the candy, I don't buy the candy. You know, like no. they, they can cry that out all they want. Like they're not getting that candy. Now, that would it be easier to give them the candy so they're so they stop and so people stop looking at us? I have a memory, um, clearly, um, and and just so you know, the attention's off of us, and I'm not sweating and panicking at the register. Yeah, yeah. but oh, it's like it's that's that tough. again, it's so counterintuitive. Hard. You know, mm-hmm. 
they want McDonald's for dinner so bad and they're throwing a fit in the back seat and you know that you've defrosted whatever on in, at home all day ready to cook and, da, 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 and it's just easier, <laughs> whatever. There's so much about parenting that I think to choose to do what's best for them is so counterintuitive to what you want to do and what's comfortable. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you have any? I will say that um, I am, that there was a situation, I'm a very protective person mm -hmm. by nature. Like I'm a lion, right? And she'll tell you that. And when it comes to my children or anything pertaining to them, I am a lion. Mm -hmm. And recently my son, um, very athletic child, my oldest son, and he goes to a school and all of the kids in his class, he's, he's like little brothers with. It's really great. And recently he had an incident where one of his buddies, they got into like somewhat of a physical altercation. Yeah. And um, he was crying. He was really upset. He, he indicated that he was physically hurt. But I know, knowing my child, that he was more emotionally dysregulated. And so he came to me, we talked about it, we cried, and he's just like, are you going to call so-and-so's mom? And I said, nope, we're going to let you work this out with your mm -hmm. friend. Mm -hmm. And that was new for me. Yeah. Because uh, in the past, I probably would have, <laughs> you know, contacted uh, the parent and talked about it to make sure that the other child and Mel apologized together. But what ended up happening is that my son saw him later in that day and the other child saw him, came right up to him and was like, hey, I'm sorry, bro. I didn't mean to do that. And my son was like, it's all good. This is your oldest, right? This is my oldest. I feel like that that's the smart. When you get oh the my parents gosh. involved, I mean, it's unnecessary drama. The kids will work it out on their own if you just let them, especially at that age. Exactly. And so what happened is these two little boys, they were just apologized and then they went off and played football. And a few weeks later, I just by chance came across and saw the mom and we talked about it. And I was like, I was just like, I'm so glad that they worked it out for themselves yeah, yeah. because he's at that age now where life is in sunshine and rainbows oh. and there's going to be a lot of adversity that's coming up. And I'm almost grateful for it yeah. because I think up until this point, like their life has been pretty much like in a bubble. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I, I grew up where I grew up is in La Puente in Southern California um, in a pretty tough neighborhood. Yeah. And so I was introduced to a lot of adversity at a very young age and my children have not experienced that. And, um, it's not like I want them to experience that, but if it occurs naturally, yeah. I want them to be able to, to deal with it in their own way. And that made me very proud of him. So that was, uh, a recent occurrence where I had to kind of let go a little bit. Mm -hmm. And what I'm understanding, maybe we'll get into this pretty soon is having a preteen now, mm -hmm. I'm seeing that there's going to be a lot of times moving forward where I have to let go. Mm -hmm. And this was one of those things where I was like, I have to start letting go little by little. And I feel like this is the beginning of a lot of like goodbyes, quote unquote. The pride that you will feel, um, it's, it's weird. It's like this bitter, you know, people talk about bittersweet. It is the most epic feeling of bittersweet that you will ever feel. Like the pride, the pride I felt launching him to out of the house when in, um, when he was 18, mm -hmm. I was so proud of him, mm -hmm. but yet I, it was the worst pain ever. Like it's yeah. so bizarre. And it's like, but the good thing is, is the way that life set, prepares us for that. Like mm -hmm. by they, I read some, something somewhere that they naturally detach sort of from their parents in their teen years mm -hmm. as a way to sort of prepare that, prepare us. Yeah. And I think that there is obviously, you don't want them to go too far from home because you always want them to know that there's you know, where their home base is and that there's safety there, but right. it does sort of prepare you. I will, I will say that. So don't, it's not like it, it it's not like it's, um, 
shocking. You know, it's coming, obviously. Gra- gradual. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, yeah, thank you. That's the word, gradual. Yeah, and I, I think I'm noticing that with my oldest son who just turned 11 because it's kind of like, hey, do you want to go to the mall with me? And he's like, no, mom, I'm good because he's choosing basketball. He's choosing YouTube. He's choosing yeah. all these other things. So I can already feel it. My child who used to be so attached to me, never wanted to leave me. It's like, I'm good, mom. I'm gonna go play ball with the boys. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, it's happening. (laughs) Let me hold on to you a little longer. But I know that this is just the cycle of life and this is is how it goes. But they circle, I feel like they circle back around. I feel like it starts at 11. I feel like after about 14, Mm -hmm. they, at least with my son, he's right out 14. I think he circled back around. He kind of got distant and moody because it's puberty, right? Okay. Yes. And then he circled back around and then we were just as cl- close as we'd always been. We, right. I don't, but I don't know if that's, that could just be him. Cause he's a very like lovey affectionate guy. And mm-hmm. with everybody, I mean, he's close to his grandparents. He's close to everybody in his life. Like he's just that kind of guy. Right. Um, but, um, but the intentionality that you put on your relationship with him, I think will, um, it pays off in dividends later. I do believe that because the parents I know who do that, they reap the benefits later. I'm, I I feel like, and I feel like I was that kind of daughter as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was maybe a little bit of a shit in the first, you know, few years of high school, but then I came back around, you know, yes. like if we think about how we were. Oh um, yeah. So as we wrap up, I thought it would be fun for Laura to share any advice she could offer to moms of little ones under five who are not in school. And Jess, maybe you could offer advice, uh, for moms of preteens, and I'll take the teenager advice. Does that sound like a good idea? Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. Okay. I, I just thought about, I'm like, we all have different, kind of different ages. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if there was one bit of advice that you wish someone shared with you or wish you would have known sooner, uh, Laura, what would that be? And you have twins, so you could even speak to that if you'd like. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't prepare for that one. <laughs> oh, whatever you want then. <laughs> no, I know, but uh, that would have been, that would have been good. Um, definitely probably just, um, slowing down. I know this sounds cliche, but there is something so powerful about slowing down and stepping away from the idea that being busy or being fast is better. Mm -hmm. Um, favoring quality over quantity that you don't need to justify your success as a mother in terms of productivity. And there would be a number of times you know, when my twins were very little where I would prioritize things like housework or if they were sleeping, I didn't want to wake them up from a nap because I knew that they needed their sleep or, and I knew I needed to get that this done or that done or, or, you know, whatever it, it was, um, you know, that I felt like I needed to do instead. And, but you, but it doesn't have to be like that because like everybody always says it goes by so fast and these little moments, these little chaotic moments, on a daily basis is going to go by and, you know, five years from now, it's just going to be a snapshot memory. Mm -hmm. And so your kitchen is a mess and it's going to take you twice as long to cook your dinner, but that's okay because you're going to look back and you're going to miss this. And the most important thing that we do in our time here on earth is going to be to love our children. Mm -hmm. And so at the, at the end of our time on earth, we're never going to look back and wish we had done more of those things like, you know, making sure the laundry was put away or that we had nicer dishes or that our kitchen table looked a certain way. It's going to be remembering how much we loved our children and how they're better because of it. Yeah. How they're better humans in this world that we contributed to that. And if you can kind of 
weave that through your mindset when you're going through it, when through the trenches, when your kids are young and you're not getting any sleep. Um, I think that that's, that's huge. And I once heard someone say that um, if you're having a rough day, to close your eyes and pretend that it's you from the future, just getting one more day to relive whatever it is it may be. It might be, you know, your kids are crawling all over you because they're waking you up in bed at six in the morning, or you're trying to cook dinner and, you know, your your little toddler wants to help. So you, your kitchen is exploded and it's, and it's a mess or even nursing. And so if you just think, if you just pretend that it's you from the future and for, for just one more time, you get to relive this moment. I guarantee you, your mindset will shift to gratitude. Oh my God, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> and this is what she does. <laughs> this is why she's so amazing. Because so, it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Oh my gosh, you really, yeah, you're so right. You're so right. So and I, and again, like when you're in it, and and when you're in it, and it's and it's dark, and you're sleep deprived, and it's really hard to get a grasp on that, and let's not wait until it's too late. Let's not wait until it's too late. Let's do it now because, you know, I, I feel like I'm just now starting to come up for a breath of air since like having my twins and figure out and feeling like a person again. And just mentioned this on the podcast that we did our, like one of our very first episodes. And she was like, oh, I didn't even know that you were going through that. And the thing is, is that I didn't realize I was going through that until I came out of it. And that's probably why I never brought it up because I didn't have that perspective yet to realize that I was in it and it was hard and it, I was in there deep. But like now that I'm out of it and I'm feel like I finally feel like I'm coming up for a breath of air. Mm -hmm. It's a good feeling. It yeah, yeah, it is a good feeling. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's really that's that's wisdom. That is wisdom. Yeah, I'm gonna remember that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. All right, <laughs> how about you, Jess? There's so much I could say on this, but something that's really coming to my space, and I think it's just with my my sons and getting to that preteen stage, I would suggest that moms really focus now less on the physical things and more on the social, emotional development with their, their children. Um, something that I would like to do with my boys is really teaching them a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And this kind of comes from a place of, my brother and his experience, my brother to go out a little off. He's, um, he is 10 years older than me and he is, um, he's homosexual. He did not come out until he was 40 years old and his whole life. He felt like he didn't belong somewhere. He felt like he couldn't communicate with my parents. He couldn't be who he was. So where I, what I suggest to do with parents is really like stop and be present talk to your children, let them know it's okay to be sad. It's okay to hurt. It's okay. Just give them a sense of belonging yeah. because where they go after this to college and their career and their marriage, you always want to give them that space to like come back and know that they belong somewhere and that they're valued somewhere. Mm -hmm. So that's really where I'm focused right now. I'm also really focused on teaching my children resilience because life is not easy. You fail more than you succeed. So true. And learning how to cope with those failures in a, in a productive, positive way. Mm -hmm. I'm really focused on that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and this is coming from a place where I was always afraid to make mistakes. Yeah. And that always had a negative impact. And now I'm just really telling myself, like, it's okay to make mistakes. And I'm hoping to change that for them. Um, the other thing, playfulness. Yeah. So, sometimes I think, like, as a mom, if you ask my parent, my kids, 
which parent is more playful, they would for sure say their dad. He's so playful and he's amazing with them. Um, but they see me as the mom who does the home, like, you know, helps with the homework, who does the chores, who does all the like the hidden mom projects. Right. Right. Where I'm trying to go is I want to be more playful with my kids. I want to be the one playing basketball with them and with all those things. I don't want them to just think of their dad when they think of those things. That's really good advice. And that's advice that I wish I would have I would have been better at when I was with, with my kids at that age. Cause my husband, again, like they're, well, both my son's dad and my, my, my husband, which is my daughter's dad, they're both very playful and I was never that, that mom. So I think that's really good advice. And I wish I would have been better at that. Well, it's advice um, for myself no, but, and, and for the listeners. But I, I would say that I wish somebody would have told me that that's really great advice because I feel like now when I am more willing to be playful, they don't think of me as being yeah. the one because I never established that as a, as a possibility. Well, uh, part of it was obviously, you know, the condition that I had and everything, but even when I could have, I didn't because it was just not, a, I just didn't choose. I mean, I didn't choose it again. It's like, none of us are perfect. I know my strengths, I know my weaknesses, but that's one that I could have worked harder at for sure. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. And the last thing I would say is even though you have older kids now and they're preteens, you're still a first time parent. You're still figuring things out as you go every single day. You're still going to make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So my number one advice is always like, just be kind to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with that oldest one, right? Because they're your first for everything. Yeah. I, yeah. It's like, we've never done this before. So we'll just see how this works out. Now right. I have some idea with, I'm sure as you guys do, like you have some idea as the next ones are coming up because you've been through with your first one, but yeah, it's pretty scary. And you are like a first time mom every with every year that goes by. Mm-hmm. Um, my advice um, is as they get old, there is a, a, a switch that gets flipped around middle school, um, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Um, it's always earlier than you think it's going to be where they start pulling away a little bit and they need more privacy, more independence and freedom. And um, it's gradual at first, but then you kind of notice it all at once. And the instinct is to want to hold on and to smother um and it's heartbreaking especially I mean because I was home all the time I noticed probably more um and I think that what my kids have told me is that um the their friends have complained the reason why their friends aren't close with their parents or if they're not close to their parents is because the parents became all of a sudden very very strict and very very um created rules to keep them closer, to prevent them from having privacy and freedom and because they want, didn't want to let go. And my advice mm. is to anticipate it because it's coming. And you have, if you want to keep that relationship strong, you have to acclimate and adjust as they do. Because while I look at my 21-year-old and I still see my baby boy, and I probably will always He's a man. He's a full-grown man. And when he was 16, he was a teenager with raging hormones. And, you know, same thing at 13. And it's like they're thinking about girls and God knows what else. And so it's like <laughs> you you have to understand that, like, you've got to stay at their level if you want to continue that relationship. Because if they feel like you're treating them like a baby mm-hmm. and treating them like you're not allowed to do – listen, he always knew where he hit the ground rules. And he always respected them. So I never have an issue with that. And he didn't abuse it, which was great. But I think the reason why he didn't was because I gave him a long leash. Mm-hmm. And it, but he, he knew that if he gave me a reason not to trust him, that leash would be pulled in. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, you get the trust up front. Like I'm paying you up front. Now you have to earn it. And he always did. So I didn't have an issue with him. Um, but I think 
showing your kids that you trust them, of course, assuming that they have earned it or deserve it, um, is important. And I think that they value that. And I think that they surprise, may surprise you more than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that my, my biggest worry, I never want to disappoint my parents. Like I, because they gave me such a long leash, I didn't, I was so afraid of like disappointing them. Mm-hmm. So I didn't tend to, uh, mess up or do things that maybe I shouldn't because I knew that they were trusting me. So mm-hmm. it's like a weird thing with them. It's like almost like reverse psychology. And the more you hold on, the more they want to rebel. Oh yeah. It's like human nature, right? Mm-hmm. So it just only makes sense. Yes. Um, it's amazing advice. Yeah. That's really yeah. good. Thank you. Um, also, um, my advice to all moms too, and I, and I've told you guys this, um, what my kids shared, um, I, cause I've asked them both, um, over the le- the years separately, I've asked them like about their memories, how far back do your memories go? And like what, what, um, what times were most pivotal or most important or where do you, and both of them have said that their memories are not strong until like, um, basically, basically middle school, you know, like that's when the memories are strong, like where they actually like remember clearly things. Of course they remember bits and pieces, but, um, so I always say, it gets physically easier. Um, and that's when we all want to take our foot off the gas, put it in cruise control and just like take a breath and start living our own lives because, oh my gosh, we finally get a break because now it's easier and they're independent and I can finally breathe. Um, but that's when you have to, while giving them that leash, don't, um, keep your eyes open because that's when it's, um, they're, they're the most impressionable. So I always say like, just be careful with that because that's when also too, if you keep the emotional availability there where you are very emotionally available to them. Um, like I always, I told you guys, my daughter likes to roll in my bedroom at like 11 o'clock at night for like an hour long conversation. I'm like, okay, all right. (laughs) And I guess there's been research to show that there's cortisol, um, increases around that time of night if they're still awake. So, and that's been happening a lot. So I always just say like, keep that keep those lines of communication open and they, and if they trust, if they feel like you trust them and they trust you, they will come to you. Um, and that is my advice. So as we wrap up, is there anything we didn't cover? Any last words that you guys want? I know we're going to put your guys's, um, podcast mm-hmm. and your Instagram in the show notes in the pink room with Jess and Laura, but is there any last words that you guys want to share that maybe we didn't cover something you just said? resonated with me. And isn't it, can we just talk about how sad it is and how frustrating it is that when you have small infant children and you are the one changing every diaper, nursing, getting up throughout the night, you're at every appointment, you're there every single second and you work so hard and you give so much of yourself for your children and then they don't even remember it. <laughs> no, I know. You know, oftentimes with my boys, I have to remind them, remember, you came out of my body. Yeah. And I've done everything right. for you. So the next time you think to act disrespectful to me, <laughs> like, let's remember that, first of all. But I will say, I will say. As it doesn't they, seem fair. As they get older, no, they start fair. getting, they will start asking questions and getting curious about that time. So even they may not oh. remember, they'll, they'll start saying like, well, who did this? Who did that? Um, they'll want to look at pictures. They mm-hmm. get really curious about their childhood. Oh, okay. So don't discount. They still want to know. It's just that they may not have the strongest of memories. It's sure. still it's still interesting to them. I would definitely say, like when I tell my son things that his dad did or or that I didn't do or vice versa, 
he's like, really? Like, so they're still very, and I also too think even the stuff that they don't obviously remember, it's still creating that foundation. Whether or not they remember it or not, that foundation had to be laid somehow. Right. And it doesn't, they don't need memories for that to be there. So I wonder if they can maybe just recall a feeling. Oh, for sure. No. 100%. I I hope so. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I know that with my mom, I I felt safe. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that, that, I think more what I'm getting at is like, don't beat yourselves, uh, moms, don't beat yourselves up over the little things because they're not even going to remember. If they had to buy lunch a couple days a week because you forgot to go to the grocery store, or not forgot, didn't have time to go to the grocery store and you were too tired to pack, they won't remember and they will not care. Like, so it's just like, we beat ourselves up for the stupidest things, you know? I buy them lunch every day. Yeah, same. (laughs) Same, I do not feel bad about it. And I don't feel bad about it. I do not at all. It makes my mornings a little less hectic. But there, whatever your thing is, moms, like whatever your (laughs) thing is, like, I promise you they probably, if you are emotionally available to them, that's really all that's going to matter in the end in terms of the closeness and the bond that you have. The little things really don't, um, you know, there's stuff that goes into creating that foundation and usually it's those little things that are not, have, they have nothing to do with it. So. Got it. Yeah. Like also too, like going on field, volunteering on field trips, like we beat ourselves about that, that yes. kind of stuff. I, I did it a few times, but it's like, they don't care. They want to be with their friends anyway. So, yeah. right. anyways, all right. Well, we're going to wrap up. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank we you love for having, having us. This was so much fun. I hope you guys enjoyed, enjoyed it, uh, listeners. And you can find them at In the Pink Room with Jess and Laura, wherever you get your podcasts. Check the show notes for a link and um, start following them on Instagram right away. You will love their show. It is amazing. You would never know they're first time podcasters. I am telling you from a professional podcast listener. They're one of my favorites. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you back here next week. Bye. That's all for this episode of Humanity Unlocked. Do you have a personal story to share with us? We're all ears. Visit humanityunlockedpodcast.com and send us an inquiry. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please leave us a five-star review and hit subscribe to hear weekly episodes of our show.